If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 15? If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one like this in one of the chairs in front of you. And if you're going to use one of the red Bibles, Romans 15 is on page 553. We're in the middle of a, a short series that we're calling Summer of Love. And this series is all about what does it mean to be disciples of Jesus defined by or marked off by our love. People who have received God's love and experience God's love, but then respond in love also. Responding in love to God and to one another, as well as to those around us in the city. Um, we exist as a church to invite people into a new story shaped by Jesus. And that story is a story of love. It's a love story. For God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus, so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is a love story. And so we need to know what does it mean for us to love God, one another, and those around us. And this morning we're talking about what does it mean to love each other. Uh, you know, Jesus says that the world will know that we are his disciples. How? By the way we love each other. So this is vitally important to our witness and our mission as a church to our neighbors, to, for them to experience what does it mean to be part of a community that loves one another. And so we're looking at Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verse 7. This is a very short verse. It's just one sentence we're going to look at, but there's a lot in there. And so let's read it, let's pray, and let's get into it, because there's a lot to say. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is so powerful that even in this one sentence, your whole story shines forth. You have welcomed us, and now we are called to welcome others all for your glory. And so we pray now through your spirit that you would make your word true in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, that's it. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's as simple as that. Paul tells us what our mission is. Welcome one another. How are we supposed to do that? Do it as Christ has welcomed you. And why do we do it? For the glory of God. What do we do? How do we do it? And why do we do it? I mean, this verse is really the, a summary of the whole gospel. The whole New Testament is really wrapped up in this one sentence. Christ has welcomed you. Now you welcome others and do all of this for the glory of God. It is so simple and yet so profound. There is so much in here. And so let's dig it. First, what does Paul say? He says, welcome one another. That is what we are to do. But what does that mean? What does it mean to welcome one another? We, we've got a welcome team, or we've got the beginnings of a welcome team. We've got aspirations of a welcome team, where we have people standing out front, smiling, uh, offering a warm welcome, giving them bulletins, and we've got coffee and donuts. We have a welcome team because we want people who are joining our church, who are visiting our church, to feel 
Maybe you've been welcomed. You know, when you go over to someone's house, what do they say? Welcome. Come on in. Hey, can I take your coat? Would you like some water? Make yourself at home. We're so glad that you're here. Is that what it means to be welcoming? Sarah was reading a magazine the other day, and there was a part of the magazine that was all about how to make your home more welcoming. But it was all these, like, crafts and things to build and make and set up so that your guests feel more entertained and, and, and welcomed, and it just seemed exhausting to do all that. Is that what we mean by welcome one another? Like, just smile, be nice, have people over, make fun crafts, entertain them. Is that what it means to welcome? Is that what Paul is asking us to do? I don't think it's anything less than that. Like, I certainly hope that we never turn into a group that, like, never smiles at one another. But, but welcoming is so much more. We know that. Like, have you ever really been welcomed in? You, it's like you feel home. You feel rested. You feel like you've really belonged. When someone really opens up their life and welcomes you in, you feel known and cared for and loved. That's what Paul is talking about. It's not just tolerating people or being nice to people. It's, it's having a posture towards other people that says, you are a part of my life. When Sarah and I moved out to St. Louis uh, for me to go to seminary, it was in the fall, and in October, we had, we had checked out a couple churches, but we found this one church that we, we wanted to be a part of, and they had community groups. And so we said, all right, let's check out this community group. And so we went for the first time, and look, we're new to the city, new to this church. We don't really know anyone. We wanted to be connected. We, we wanted to find a home, but we were nervous. Like we were nervous about who are these people. You know, are, are we going to know what they do at the group? We're going to feel outside. We're going to feel like we don't belong. Well, so we got to the house that the community group was at. We knocked on the door. We were the first ones there because we showed up on time, and everyone else shows up 10 minutes late, and that's all right. So it was a little awkward. Uh, but Mark and Rebecca Schistler, they, they welcomed us in, and they, they brought us into their kitchen. They were still making the treat and the food for the group, and Mark offered us some drinks, and they started asking us, like, hey, how, how's it been moving into St. Louis? How's it going for you? Sarah, did you get a job? You know, how's that going? How's, how's this transition? And they, they welcomed us. And, and then other people got into the group, and there was a lady there who was there for the second time. And uh, so she was there. So she was sort of new, and we were new. And so we went around and introduced ourselves to one another, and we, we did our, our group. And the, Mark and Rebecca had this little girl, and, and she was running around. And it was just like... And they opened, up our they opened up their house and welcomed us in to the way things were going. And it wasn't like we were a bother to them. They, they really took an interest in who we were and what we were doing with our lives. They were asking us questions. And we ate food together. And we opened up the Bible together and, and learned about what the sermon was on Sunday together. And then as the group was concluding, they were beginning to plan next week, the first of the month, they were going to have dinner together as a group. And they say, hey, Jeremy and Sarah, you guys are welcome to come don't feel like you have to bring anything. This is, this is so that you guys feel welcomed. And then they started planning their Christmas party in, in, in six weeks. It was a um, secret Santa, Yankee swap. What, I don't know. How, what, what do you guys call it? Yankee swap? White elephant. Yeah, okay. So there was a white elephant thing. And like, as they were talking about it, like people were laughing of previous gifts given in the years past. And this group had been doing it for 10 years. 
And they were like, Jeremy and Sarah, we want you guys to come. Come on in. We'll, we'll buy gifts for you if you don't have anything. We want you to be part of this. On that first night, we were so nervous going into that group. We didn't know who these people were. We didn't know if we belonged there. And they opened up their home. They opened up their group. They made us feel like we belonged. And we did. That group became a life support for us for those three years in St. Louis. That's what it means to welcome one another, to open up your lives, your heart, and invite someone in. That Greek word, welcome, means to take someone to yourself, to pull them close. When Paul says welcome one another, he's not saying just be friendly. He's saying open up your life and then let one another in. That's hard. I, I understand. Like, I, I'm, we were nervous going into that group. I understand what it, the difficulty of, like, joining something for the first time. I understand it's difficult to welcome other people, especially people you've never met before. We, we've got so, such busy and filled lives. The idea of adding a new person into the routine that you've already established, that's hard. The idea of getting to know someone and sitting down and not just talking about the weather that we've been having or about the game that you caught last night, but actually sitting down and asking, like, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? What's going on in your life? I want to know you. That's emotionally and relationally hard, and I understand. Look, personally, church planning, it's been far more emotionally draining than I thought it was going to be. And for people who have been around for a while, you know, people have come and gone and come and gone. And Sarah and I love opening up our home and welcoming people in for dinner. It's been really hard to sit down and have like a three-hour dinner and meal with people to get to know them. And then two weeks later, never see them again. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that's hard. And if we want to be a church that welcomes strangers, we're all going to have to go through that. Like, we're all going to go through the difficult time of building emotional relationships with people, knowing they might leave. But Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. It is difficult. But I think why it's maybe more difficult than just being taxing like that is that by default, we're selfish people. By default, we think of ourselves first. And honestly, when, when we have a relationship with people, it's fine to welcome them as far or as long as it's mutually beneficial. Like as long as I'm benefiting from this and they're benefiting from this relationship, we can, we can be friends. But as soon as that person or that group asks something of me, as soon as that person asks me to be real about myself, or to give of my heart to them, or to bind myself to them in a relation. As soon as someone asks something from me or to take something from me, I want to leave because I don't want to do that. By nature, we are people that say, you are here for me. And when a bunch of people are together that say, you are here for me, well, then it's mutually beneficial. But when someone comes and says, I can't, I, I need and need and need and need, well, then that becomes a problem. 
what Paul is saying, if we are going to welcome one another, we have to change the kind of person that we are. We, we can no longer be you exist for me people. We have to become I exist for you people. We have to be I exist for you. And so what that means is when you see a brother and sister in Christ, do you look at that relationship and ask, how can that person benefit me? Like, I know that there are seasons in life where people are, are struggling and weak in their faith or going through something that do need from people. That, that makes sense. But is your default relationship with them one that says, you exist for me? Or is your default relationship towards that brother or sister I exist for you. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? We as a church, that's what we want to be too. We, we want to be a community that says, hey, we do not exist just for the people that are here. We are not a people that say, you all exist for me. We want to be a people that say, we exist for you. That's why like, one of our tenets is restful. Because the story of Jesus offers the true rest our hearts are longing for. What we want is to be a part of a people that say, we exist for you. Oh, I forgot to do children's lesson. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, man. Well, that's why I skipped it. Oh, children, EJ and Kira, we love you still. And our, our prayer for you is still that the Lord would bless you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Kaylin. I am so sorry. So Paul is calling us to be the kinds of people that look around one another and say, I exist for you. I exist for you. And that's hard. Which kind of person do you think you are? Are you the you are here for me person or are you the I am here for you? Paul is telling us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. That's the calling of the church. That's why Story Church exists. That's why we are the community here, is because we are people that say, I exist for you. So how do we do that? Like, how do we become the kinds of people that do that? Well, Paul continues. He says, yes, welcome one another, but do it as Christ has welcomed you. That's how we do it, as Christ has welcomed you. And you, and you might read that and think that Paul is saying, Welcome one another like Jesus has welcomed you. You might think that Paul is saying, hey, Jesus is this great example of what it means to welcome. I mean, Jesus was the most hospitable person in the world. He didn't even have a home, and he was the most hospitable person. So look at Jesus and model his life. Welcome one another like Jesus welcomed. You know, Jesus welcomed tax collectors and sinners, so we should be people that welcome sinners. Jesus welcomed the social outcast, so we should welcome the social outcast. That is true, but that's not what Paul is saying. 
Like, it is true that we should look at the life and ministry of Jesus as an example of what we are to do, but that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, welcome them like Jesus welcomed you. He's saying, welcome one another as Jesus has welcomed you. It's not like Jesus, it's because Jesus has welcomed you. We don't just look to Jesus as an example for what to do. We look to Jesus as the power for what we are to do. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, apart from being welcomed by Jesus, we cannot welcome one another the way Paul is calling us to. And so we need to welcome one another as Christ welcomes us. So we have to ask, how has he welcomed us? In what way has he welcomed you and me? Everyone that comes into this church, everyone who believes in Jesus is part of the church because Jesus has welcomed them. So how has he done that? Well, there's three things that I think Jesus has done to welcome us that we need to look at. First, Jesus has welcomed us into his family. Just because we're human beings and just because God created us does not mean that God is our father. God is our Lord because he created us. But he is our father because through Jesus, we have been adopted into his family. And so Jesus has welcomed us into his family. Because before Jesus, every one of us, we were outside of the family of God and in fact, worse than that, we were rebellious against God. That's what it means to sin. Sin isn't just not doing the right thing, although it is. Sin is saying, God, I know you have told me to do this, and I'm saying, no, thank you. I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live it. That is outright rebellion against our creator. And because of that, we deserve eternal wrath and condemnation because it's rebellion against this perfectly eternal good God. But Jesus has welcomed us from being enemies with God, now part of the family of God. Like when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt for your sins, completely wiping you clean. You are forgiven. But he's also now, through faith, in our union with Jesus, are united to him and brought into the family of God. And so now we are welcomed. We have a seat at the table. We get to be where Jesus is, at the right hand of the Father. We can pray to him, Abba, Father, hear my prayer. We have been welcomed into the family of God. And so, welcome one another into the family of God. Uh, I think one of the most beautiful pictures of this, I mean, apart from adoption, which is a wonderful illustration of this gospel, foster families. Look, foster families, and, and many of you know Patrick and Jackie Sultzer, who have been helping out with our church over the last year a couple times. They are a foster family, and they are a beautiful foster family. And it takes a lot of work because they will get a call at a random time on a random day and say, there is a four-month-old baby who just came into our system. Can you open up your home to them? And they say yes. 
They don't choose who the child is. They don't know what issues are going on in that child's life. They are saying, we want to love this child, and we will welcome them into our family. Look, you and I were rebellious against God, but Jesus has welcomed us into his family. Now, we as a church, welcome one another into that family. We don't choose who comes and who's part of Story Church. Like, any random guy or girl is going to come and want to be a part of us. Are we ready as a people to welcome them into God's family? It's going to be difficult. It might be awkward. It's going to be strenuous. It's going to take time. But God calls us to welcome them into his family because he has welcomed us into his family. So that's the first. Jesus has welcomed us into his family. But secondly, Jesus has also welcomed us into his grace and mercy. He has welcomed us into his grace and mercy. I said before, we were sinful rebels, deserving from God condemnation, wrath. But Jesus welcomed us despite that reality. He, he welcomed us despite knowing everything that's wrong with us. Like, that's our, our greatest fear, right? is being known. Like, if someone knew our secrets, our sin, what we've done in hiding or even in public, if someone knew everything that was on our heads and our hearts, our greatest fear is, man, if you know me, well, then you wouldn't love me. But Jesus welcomes us and knows us. Despite knowing everything about us, he says, you are mine. And he does that through his grace and mercy. Simply put, grace is, is a free gift. It's not because we earn it. It's not because we've worked for it. It's not because we've sort of pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. No, he has welcomed us in freely. We don't have to change our lives or clean ourselves up or get rid of something before that. Jesus says, no, come to me. Unconditionally. He's welcomed us in his mercy and, and mercy just means being given something or having something done to us that we could not do ourselves, that, that we were unable to do for ourselves. We were dead in our sins, but God, in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with him. We have new life in Christ together. He has welcomed us into his grace and mercy. He has lavished that upon us. He is rich in mercy. It is new every morning. Look, when you go to bed at night, if you're like me, you've got stress and anxiety and worry and concern going through your head. I mean, you're maybe worried about what's going on with your family or something at work, or maybe you're even feeling shameful or guilty for something you said that day or the way you spoke to your spouse. You, you go to bed anxious worried. And then what happens when you wake up? His mercies are new every morning. Again and again, he washes you clean. He speaks a word of love over you. He has welcomed you to experience that day in and day out. Therefore, welcome one another in grace and mercy. What does that mean? Well, first it means like there is room for everyone at the foot of the cross. What I mean by that is like 
there's no sin that will surprise God, and then therefore it should not surprise us that when we come together, we should feel free to confess our sin to one another and to God, and then fall together at the foot of the cross because he is welcoming us again and again in his grace and mercy. And so if Jesus has welcomed you, then we can be real with one another. That's the first thing it means. Secondly, it means are you the kind of person who's welcoming to others with their mess? Like, are, are we a safe place for people to be in process with their sin? Are, are we a place for people to walk through and struggle together and hold on to each other as we progress in this life towards Christ-likeness? Jesus has welcomed us unconditionally into his grace and mercy. Therefore, welcome one another unconditionally. Welcome one another in grace and mercy. Third, Jesus has welcomed us into his eternal inheritance. Jesus, if we believe in him and have faith in him, he has sent his spirit upon us, which is a sign and seal of our eternal inheritance, that we are forever united to him, that we are raised with him and seated with him at the right hand of the Father, and so that in the coming ages, we will experience his kindness towards us. We will be with him forever and have everything that we could ever need in Christ because he has welcomed us into that inheritance. He has blessed us and welcomed us generously, I mean, our, our assurance of forgiveness. He poured out his life. He became a servant, became humble, giving us everything that we need. Paul says in another place, although he was rich, he became poor so that in him, you and I might be rich. He's talking spiritually. We have every blessing that we could ever need in Christ. Therefore, welcome one another generously. I did not win the Vaximilian lottery, but if I did, and if someone asked me for $500 to cover something that they were desperately in need for, it'd be a moot point. Like, it would not matter to me at all, because I would have known in my bank account is a million dollars. How much more generous should we be as people, knowing that we have this eternal inheritance that is ours. And I'm, I'm not talking just financially, although that's a component of it, but relationally. Like, are you willing to give of yourself relationally, knowing that you are eternally secure with a perfect relationship with the Father forever? Are you willing to give yourself emotionally to people, knowing that you are secure in God's eternal love for you that will never fade? There is nothing that will separate you from the love that the Father has for you in Christ. So why are, you, why are we not more willing to give that love to other people? We have it all already. There is nothing more that we need from God. He has given us everything. The bottom of this, because we are satisfied in him, we are free to love our neighbors the way that Jesus loves because Jesus has welcomed us into this eternal inheritance and has given us everything we need, 
Therefore, welcome one another generously. All right, finally. That's what we're supposed to do. Welcome one another. How are we supposed to do that? Because Jesus has welcomed you. Is that true for you? Has Jesus welcomed you? Do you know that? Like, Paul isn't saying Jesus welcomed us as, as a body, although that's true. He's saying, no, Jesus welcomed you. For you, he came into this world. For you, he became a servant. For you, he became humble. For you, he went up onto the cross. For you, he died. And for you, he was raised. And for you, he was ascended so that in him, you are with him in eternity. Do you believe that that's true? That he has welcomed you? If you believe that, then welcome one another. Why? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. We are to do everything for the glory of God, but specifically we are to welcome one another for the glory of God. We are not trying to welcome one another so that Story Church has glory. We're not trying to welcome one another so that I have, I, mean, I do not want glory. We, we are not trying to make a name for ourselves. To make a name for ourselves is to say, you exist for me. But we do this for the glory of God. We exist for you for the glory of God. The only way we can do that is if we believe in the one who did that perfectly. Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and said, you don't exist for me. I am coming here for you. I am coming here for you so that in me, you could welcome one another for the glory of God. Let's pray.